what happens at Georgetown Prep stays at Georgetown Prep. That's been a good thing for all of us, I think. Yeah. Used to be. Wasn't it, Judge Kavanaugh? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, now on WTPA News Radio, which used to be WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountain, California on KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's. AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for your listening pleasure on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We have, for a change, a lot to cover on today's broadcast. <laughs> oh, you say that to all the shows. I don't. I do, don't I? Uh, that, of course, is the delightful Desi Doyen, who will be here for the entire hour if things go well. I appreciate the instinct for media outlets once the worst, most violent effects of a major storm have died down to, you know, want to move on to other things. That reaction is certainly even more understandable, I guess, sort of right now, given all of the other things, including allegations of attempted rape against a U.S. Supreme Court nominee and historic midterm elections that are now just over five weeks away. Uh, and we will cover those things in a moment as well. But people are still dying and suffering and being threatened from the continuing effects of Hurricane Florence in the Carolinas and nearby states. And with uh, the nearly 3,000 deaths after Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, we should be reminded that much of the threat of these sorts of storms can come after the winds have passed. Uh, to that end, yes, we are still keeping our eyes on this ongoing disaster and will continue to do so. Uh, as we can. So at least a quick update before we get to everything else today uh, from Hurricane Florence. The death toll has now climbed to at least 37 as of Wednesday afternoon, including two mental health patients who drowned when a sheriff's van was swept away by floodwaters. And North Carolina's governor has uh, continued to plead with thousands of evacuees to not yet return home just yet. 
At the same time, President Donald Trump arrived in storm-ravaged North Carolina on Wednesday, visiting a church in the hard-hit coastal town of New Bern, where volunteers have been handing out food to storm victims. No word on how many rolls of paper towels he threw to the suffering residents, but I guess he showed up. I guess that's something. Wilmington, uh, which has a population of 120,000, is uh, still mostly an island right now, surrounded by floodwaters, and people continue to wait for hours for handouts of food and water and tarps. Thousands of others around the state are uh, still in shelters, waiting for the all-clear. After submerging North Carolina with nearly three feet, three feet of rain, the storm dumped more than six and a half inches of rain in the northeast, where it's causing problems in other states, including flash flooding. North Carolina's Governor Roy Cooper warned that the flooding in uh, North Carolina is still far from over and will get worse in some places, he said on Wednesday. Addressing roughly 10,000 people who remain in shelters and uh, countless more who are staying elsewhere, Cooper urged uh, those folks to stay put for now, particularly those from the hardest-hit coastal counties. Roads remain treacherous, he said. Some are still being closed for the first time, as rivers are swelling still around the state. Um, but the risk of environmental damage now is growing as both human and animal waste is washing into the swirling floodwaters. More than 5 million gallons of partially treated sewage spilled into the Cape Fear River after power went out at a, uh, at a treatment plant. Why there wasn't backup power at that treatment plant or why the backup power, if they had it, went out, uh, I'm not yet sure, but that's not good. <laughs> Officials also said that uh, the earthen dam of a pond holding hog waste was breached, spilling its contents, according to AP, uh, and the flooding killed an estimated, so far, three and a half million chickens and 55 hogs on farms. Zoe Schlanger over at uh, Environmental Reporter over at Quartz updates us now with the late numbers from the uh, from the state late today on the what she calls the hog poop lagoons. Uh, 21, she says, according to state data, have poop flowing out of them. 67 are likely to overflow very soon. 17 are already flooded. And five have been uh, structurally breached. And that's really what is one of the long-term public health hazards of these storms, particularly with Florence, with so many uh, toxic coal ash waste sites that have been inundated and are adding to the floodwaters, the hog manure lagoons, the dead livestock um, those uh, that, that drowned, trapped in those massive barns. I've been seeing photos and videos of mm. people playing in the floodwaters. No. I don't think it's getting out to the people that live there that, hey, those waters are toxic. They're contaminated with both human and animal sewage. They should be avoided as much as possible. Uh, and there's going to be the uh, task of... <laughs> Cleaning up three and a half million dead chickens and fifty-five dead, uh, fifty-five hundred dead pigs, uh, which caused in uh, what was it, Hurricane Matthew, just a couple of years ago, caused 
Uh, it was a huge task and very difficult and very uh, toxic and smelly trying to clean up uh, from that storm. And this one is this uh, one's still worse. ongoing. This is and ongoing it's and it's worse. And the standing waters that will take you know weeks for these floodwaters to potentially uh, recede. That means a lot of standing water. That means mosquitoes and uh, mosquito-borne diseases. I, so I hope the media can find it in them to at least keep an eye on what is go- is going on right now uh, from the uh, fallout of Florence and will continue to be going on for quite some time. Uh, Brandon Ecavarietta uh, was interviewed by the Associated Press, and uh, they say he struggled to stay composed as he described life post-Florence. No power for days. Rotted meat in the freezer, no water or food, and just one bath in a week. Uh, the 34-year-old um, said with his voice breaking that it has been pretty bad. So we continue to send our best wishes to the folks out there still fighting this, and uh, they will still be fighting it for quite a while, I suspect. Uh, all right, well, it is also... Um, impossible right now to keep up with all of the noise and the still very quickly moving and changing developments following the serious allegation of attempted rape leveled against federal appeals court judge and nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court Brett Kavanaugh. But Greg Sargent of Plumline, as usual, uh, cuts to the central heart of the matter, at least at this hour. So I'm going to try to work from... uh, some of his column here at uh, Washington Post's uh, plumb line today. The Republican strategy to get Bre- Brett Kavanaugh confirmed to uh, confirmed is to do the absolute minimum necessary to appear as if they are taking the sexual assault charges against him seriously while doing all that they can to limit the ability of the American people to make a fully informed judgment about those charges themselves. That sounds about right. The uh, words and actions of Republicans themselves, he notes, confirm the rationale behind this strategy. Any delay and further fact-finding into this might make it less likely that Kavanaugh gets confirmed and could threaten more political damage to the GOP's chances in the upcoming midterms. And if confirmation is delayed past the election and Democrats somehow do manage to win back a majority in the U.S. Senate, that throws the seat's fate into doubt big time. On Tuesday night, just after we got off air, Christine Blasey Ford's lawyer Uh, She's the accuser here, sent a letter to the Senate Judiciary Committee demanding an FBI investigation into her allegations against Kavanaugh before she testifies to the committee, as Republicans have invited her to do next Monday. In the letter, Ford's legal team notes that since she came forward, she has been the target of, quote, vicious harassment and, quote, death threats, that she's had to leave her home to keep her family safe and um, argues that an FBI probe is necessary because some Republican senators have already made up their minds that she is simply, quote, mistaken and, quote, mixed up. Mistaken and mixed up about who tried to rape her some 30 years ago when she was in high school. Mistaken and mixed up were the words that Senator Orrin Hatch, Republican from Utah, used. And now other Republicans have decided uh, to claim with no evidence to support that conclusion whatsoever that she's just mixed up. It must have been someone else. 
It couldn't have been Brett Kavanaugh. But remember uh, Orrin Hatch's name here for a moment. We'll return to him in a moment. Dr. Ford's lawyers uh, wrote in a letter to the, wrote in their letter to the committee, quote, a full investigation by law enforcement officials will ensure that the crucial facts and witnesses in this matter are assessed in a nonpartisan manner and that the committee is, fi- is fully informed before conducting any hearing, adding that no serious investigation can be conducted by Monday which is when Republicans have scheduled the hearing uh, at which she and Kavanaugh, and currently only she and Kavanaugh, no other witnesses, including the man Mark Judge, who was said to have been in the room and participated in the attack at that time, uh, only she and Kavanaugh would would testify as things are set right now by the Senate Republicans. Uh, That man, Mark Judge, for his part, after denying the attack, now says he doesn't remember any such incident. So maybe there was an attack, but he doesn't remember it if it happened. By the way, Mark Judge has written for right-wing outlets like Daily Caller and so forth. So he, too, is uh, a right-winger, just like Kavanaugh. He says he doesn't remember any such incident, uh, and he has uh, said that he has no interest in testifying before the uh, Senate uh, Judiciary Committee, though, of course, the committee could subpoena him and require him to do so, especially since he has no Fifth Amendment right to protect himself here at all, given that the statute of limitations for a criminal prosecution for this assault, his uh, that, that has long passed. So he would have to answer uh, these questions before the Judiciary Committee. So no wonder he doesn't want to Uh, speak to them but you know why would he be afraid of doing that if he knows nothing about any of this of course since republicans don't really want to know what went on here mark judge has not even been invited to appear much less subpoenaed to do so as he could be republican senators are flatly rejecting the demands by uh, Dr. Blasey Ford and by democrats for an FBI investigation Chuck Grassley of Iowa The chair of the Judiciary Committee said, quote, we've offered Dr. Ford the opportunity to share her story with the committee and the invitation for Monday still stands. That's it. Bob Corker of Tennessee. Remember him, the one who was supposedly an opponent of Donald Trump's? Uh, He claimed, quote, Republicans extended a hand in good faith. If we don't hear from both sides on Monday, let's vote. He doesn't care. He has no interest in uh, getting to the truth before seating this guy on the highest court in the land. He could not care less. People who regard Bob Corker as some sort of a hero for occasionally very softly speaking out about Donald Trump. Bob Corker is no hero. John Cornyn of Texas, of course, we know he's no hero. Speaking uh, yesterday, he uh, remarked glibly, quote, She's not really in a position to make conditions, in my view. Right. She's just the attempted rape victim here. What right does she have to uh, give any conditions about when she comes out and speaks to the world about what uh, she says happened to her? And what right does she have to make any demands that official uh, officials actually investigate what is a criminal matter or at least what would have been 
had the statute of limitations not run out. But here's the central part of the matter. Why is it that the hearing cannot simply be delayed past Monday? Uh, on Wednesday morning, Senator Lindsey Graham gave the game away in a couple of tweets uh, in which he may not have meant to. But uh, as Sergeant uh, quotes, uh, Graham said, uh, quote, requiring an FBI investigation of a 36 year old allegation before Professor Ford will appear before the Judiciary Committee is not about finding the truth, but delaying the process till after the midterm elections. In a second tweet, he added, it is imperative, imperative that, that the Judiciary Committee move forward on the Kavanaugh nomination and a committee vote be taken ASAP. It's imperative. Now, Graham does not say why a Judiciary Committee vote must take place ASAP, but the first tweet uh, does make that clear. An investigation might end up, quote, delaying the process till after the midterms. Graham blames Democrats for uh, wanting to do this. But what Graham doesn't explain here is why the fact that this could be delayed until after the midterms should place any limits whatsoever on the Senate's efforts to determine what actually happened here. And of course, that's because the real answer is that it's untenable. Uh, as a public position to say that out loud, because if this is delayed until after the midterms and Republicans happen to lose control of the Senate, then they would have to confirm the justice in a lame duck period, which, as Brian Butler points out, President Trump would be uh, badly weakened in uh, that situation. And this would further cast a cloud of illegitimacy over the process of filling the seat whether it's filled with Kavanaugh or anyone else at that point, and would compound the legitimacy problem that uh, whoever the justice was uh, would end up then ruling on matters relating to Trump's legal problems. The Wall Street Journal editorial board is helpfully explicit on the real calculus here. Uh, they warn, quote, if Democrats take the Senate majority, they'll turn they'll then insist on no vote until the new Senate convenes in January. Which they should. And frankly, they should have already done that. Uh, of course, Republicans would not listen to any of that. And um, uh, all of which basically concedes that moving forward at this point puts them in a politically brutal position so they want to get it done as soon as possible. ASAP, as Lindsey Graham said. Uh, and not that they care, by the way, about being in a politically brutal position. Not that that would slow them down one bit, even with the results uh, being, you know, ultimately not one, but two alleged Republican sexual assaulters on a nine member U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, that's what all of this is about. That's the rush. There is zero other reason for the panic currently shaking both the White House and Capitol Hill over, Cam uh, over uh, Kavanaugh's nomination. There are a few cases that may not go the Republicans' way. Uh, if there's a delay because there's maybe a 4-4 four to four split on the court until they can get their swing vote onto the already stolen Supreme Court, but the fear that they could be blocked entirely from doing so. And frankly, if the Democrats take back the uh, the majority here, 
they would be within their rights to not only um, stall any nomination to the Supreme Court, but block one, block one for two years and keep it a four to four court for the next two years until after the next presidential election or as Mitch McConnell used to like saying, uh, until after the American people have had a voice in this decision. Sargent concedes the Democrats, of course, may well want to delay this until after the midterms. But even if that is true, the fact that Republicans are citing this is revealing. The fact that they're you know, pointing to Democrats wanting to delay it. Republicans, uh, after all, they could support a fuller investigation into what happened and still vote before the midterm elections. There is still time for both, for both an investigation and testimony and a vote before November 6. The only thing that would delay this until after the election is if Kavanaugh's nomination becomes untenable because that fuller investigation actually happens and we learn more about all of this and what actually happened. And that might force Trump to then have to nominate a replacement. That would definitely push things until after the election. Thus, uh, Sargent concludes, uh, that is really what they want to avoid, a fuller accounting that could scuttle this nomination entirely, which means they would not be able to get anyone seated before November 6. That's what this is all about. Period. End of story. They don't give a damn about what actually happened to this woman. 36 years ago. They don't actually give a damn about waiting to find out uh, her story about investigating uh, you know, what happened here. They do not want to hear from any more people. They do not want to hear from any more witnesses. On Facebook on Wednesday, a former schoolmate of Christine Blasey Ford posted a note in support of her writing, among other things, quote, Christine Blasey Ford was a year or so behind me. I remember her. This incident did happen. Many of us heard about it in school, and uh, Christine's recollection should be more than enough for us to truly, deeply know what the note to truly, deeply know that the accusation is true. Um, this uh, this woman, uh, Christina King. Uh, former schoolmate of uh, Ford's later took down the post after being besieged by media and others and said that while she does not have firsthand personal knowledge of the incident, she stands by her support for Christine. That's just one of perhaps dozens or even hundreds of various uh, witnesses in varying capacities to all of this that the GOP does not want to come out. And it's the reason why they are not waiting for an FBI investigation, and it's why the White House has not asked the FBI to do one. As the George W. Bush, uh, I'm sorry, George H.W. Bush White House did, they did request an FBI investigation in the case of allegations of sexual impropriety by their then Republican Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas back in 1991. For the record, just under 600 women alumni of the high school that Christine Blasey Ford attended in Bethesda, Maryland, have now signed an open letter indicating their support for the woman who was who has accused uh, Kavanaugh of attempted rape back in high school, according to Vox News. That comes in response to the 65 women who signed uh, signed on to a letter in support of Kavanaugh. 
that Chuck Grassley, the, uh, the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, was somehow magically able to produce within hours after the allegations came to light on Monday. Um, those women, those 65 women, uh, claimed that uh, because Kavanaugh did not attempt, I guess, to rape them, uh, he couldn't have possibly attempted to rape anyone else. You know, he, he treated them fine. So she must be lying. As to the uh, FBI investigation or the lack thereof in this case, uh, Grassley on Wednesday uh, once again said that uh, Ford should consider a hearing that he has scheduled for Monday. Uh, her only opportunity to air her allegations, apparently. Uh, that Grassley wrote in a letter responding to her attorneys on Wednesday afternoon. Grassley lied in, letter, in the letter that it's not the FBI's role to investigate a matter such as this. Um, and uh, he said that uh, they have no power in the Senate to order the FBI to investigate. That is true. They can't unilaterally do so. Um, they can't order the FBI to conduct a background check style investigation here, but there is nothing stopping Donald Trump from instructing the FBI to do exactly that, just as George Bush Sr. did 30 years ago. And that is a point that even Utah's right wing Judiciary Committee member, Senator Orrin Hatch, even he agrees with that. Even he agrees that the FBI could and should investigate this matter. Orrin Hatch or at least he used to agree with it. He did back in 1991 during the Anita Hill hearings for Clarence Thomas. As Steve Dennis of Bloomberg tweeted out today, from the transcript of those hearings some 30 years ago, we didn't have time to track down the audio, but here's the quote. Uh, this was back when Orrin Hatch was also on the committee, he on the judiciary. He's on it now. He was on it 30 years ago. And Hatch said to Anita Hill at the time, according to the transcript, quote, Chairman Biden and ranking member Thurmond, when they heard about this the first time, they immediately ordered this FBI investigation, which was the very right thing to do. And they did what every other chairman and ranking member have done. So. Back in 1991, it was the right thing to do to order an FBI investigation. And every other chair and ranking member would have done the same, did, in fact, do the same. Uh, that was Orrin Hatch back in 1991. Orrin Hatch today, he wants to get this over with ASAP. He's not calling for an FBI investigation uh, Steve Dennis at Bloomberg asks if this was, quote, the very right thing to do for the chairman and ranking member in 91 to ask for an FBI investigation in Anita Hill's case. Why is it not now? Well, we know the answer to that. It's because the Republicans do not want to know what actually happened, period. And I suspect they wouldn't have wanted to know back in 1991, except back then the committee was headed up by Democrats. In that case, it was Joe Biden. As Bloomberg reports today, the FBI could investigate Kavanaugh allegations, but the White House is not asking the Bureau to do so. So that's where we are at this moment. And it all could change by the time you listen to today's show, but that's where we are at this hour. 
and what the headwinds are likely to be for the next several days as Republicans desperately try to do the absolute minimum they can do, the minimum that they can get away with without appearing to attack Dr. Ford herself. And by the way, uh, all of this uh, should be very good news for the Catholic Church. This should be great news. How so? Uh, well, they can stop worrying about all of the sexual assaults cases from decades ago. Those were decades ago. We don't need to worry about those. We don't need to investigate those. They can stop paying millions of dollars in settlements. They can stop forcing the resignations of, uh, of, of the, those priests who were involved in them. Because, you know, if enough time passes, the perps, everybody knows, according to Senate Republicans anyway... The perps get a get-out-of-jail-free card if they can uh, wait long enough and not only get out of jail free, they can, they, those, those priests should be promoted. They can be promoting the sexual assaulters again. I don't know why the Catholic Church is so worried about all of this. Just, re just promote them, just as the Republicans are planning to do, hoping to do with Brett Kavanaugh to give him a lifetime appointment to the swing vote seat on the highest court in the land. See? Don't worry, Catholics. Everything is all right. Okay, quick break, and we'll hit some news about that upcoming election uh, that Republicans really hope uh, doesn't get here very soon uh, because the news does not look good for them uh, in that regard either. Uh, we'll talk about that. Oh, and some other breaking news out of Alabama today. From my friend, Secretary of State John Merrill. All of that and more ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the broadcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, well, let me start with uh, this because this was uh, just breaking. Everything is just breaking before airtime these days. But um, last May, you may remember, uh, before the primary elections in Alabama, I had a wildly bizarre exchange with the Alabama Secretary of State, John Merrill, uh, on Twitter, where I very politely had asked him about an erroneous claim that he had made on Twitter regarding the state's voting systems and whether or not they produced a digital ballot image of uh, scanned ballots and so forth. I won't go into the details. Uh, they do produce that image, uh, but he claimed over and over again that they do not and they could not and he was wrong and I politely said as much to him. 
and I was subsequently banned from following his Twitter account where he talks about elections and, you know, the stuff that we cover on this show that I cover as a journalist. I can no longer at least easily follow what the Secretary of State of Alabama has to say about such things. Uh, but, of course, I, I had uh, esteemed company at the time, other election experts such as UC Irvine's election law professor Rick Hassan and University of Kentucky's Joshua Douglas, uh, who joined us on the show to talk about it. They were also banned by Merrill from uh, following his account, even though it's important to all of our jobs to be able to do that. I also found that uh, Merrill had similarly banned tons and tons of his own constituents as well because he just didn't like hearing from them. Uh, then in a federal case against Donald Trump by several Twitter users that uh, Trump had banned himself, a federal judge found that Trump was violating their uh, First Amendment constitutional rights uh, and uh, ordered Trump to reinstate those banned Twitter users. I asked John Merrill, Secretary of State of Alabama, I asked uh, his office if he planned after that federal court ruling to unban those who he had banned, and they said, absolutely not. Well, this so-called conservative Republican, John Merrill, um, who is facing a challenge, by the way, this year, this uh, November, from Democratic Secretary of State candidate Heather Milam. Uh, this so-called conservative must now waste, uh, who knows how much, uh, in taxpayer dollars defending his idiocy of blocking people on Twitter that he does not agree with. According to AL.com today, three Alabama citizens are now suing Secretary of State John Merrill for blocking them on Twitter. The three registered voters claim in the complaint filed on their behalf by the American Civil Liberties Union of Alabama that Merrill violated their First Amendment rights by blocking them from interacting with his official John H. Merrill account on Twitter. Brock Boone, an attorney with the ACLU of Alabama, described the move by Merrill as a violation of the First Amendment that amounts to, to a decision to, quote, discriminate against his own constituents. Boone says when a government official intentionally opens up a public conversation, that official can't block individuals from joining the conversation because of the views that are expressed. Merrill also spoke with AL.com Wednesday morning. He was predictably defiant about the lawsuit, which he called a, quote, political hack job. As he is a political hack, I guess he would know. <laughs> uh, by the way, does I, he ever think about these things I, before he says them? I, you know, and I never called him a political hack. I was nothing but uh, polite to him. I'll link to our uh, conversation that we had that resulted in me getting banned. Uh, I've seen other conversations that others had with him that, uh, you know, were very polite and were not political. There was nothing political about my tweets at all to him or those of Hassan's or Douglas uh, that, that resulted in all of us getting banned by him. And as the federal suit against Donald Trump showed, Merrill simply could have just muted the conversations from people like me. If he didn't want to hear it, he wouldn't he wouldn't see it at all. 
but at least we would still be able to see what he had to say and participate in conversation about that. But he cannot block people like that if he is using his account for his official role as Secretary of State, which he is, at least according to the uh, to the other federal court. I think that was in New York. Uh, we'll see what this one has to say. The Montgomery Advertiser reported back in June after I had made a lot of noise about what Merrill was doing that um, Merrill... Uh, said that uh, he addressed the topic of the uh, blocking people on Twitter after that uh, Trump ruling that I had asked them about uh, and whether they now intended to unblock people. He said at the time, I'm not unblocking anybody that I've already blocked because there's a reason those people were blocked and anyone else that I feel needs to be blocked in the future will also be blocked, he said back then, according to the advertiser. Uh, which sounds exactly like what his office told me. The three plaintiffs in this new ACLU case uh, against Merrill that um, is now before the U.S. District Court of Alabama's Middle District claim that Merrill violated their First Amendment rights. Kimberly Fasking, a student at Samford University's Cumberland School of Law, says that Merrill blocked her after she tweeted a question about crossover voting. Alabama resident... Uh, Heather uh, Heather Melvin Booth claims in the complaint that she was, quote, blocked for stating, good point, ballot has major typo. And she got blocked for that. And Alabama farmer and educator Herbert Hicks said he was blocked after Merrill, after asking Merrill about a speaking engagement. Fasking said that uh, she was disappointed by the decision to block her and said in a statement, it is upsetting to me that the Secretary of State who primarily uses his Twitter account to disseminate information on issues related to his office, has also weaponized that account by blocking those with whom he disagrees politically. It is not the Secretary of State's job to communicate only with those who agree with him, but with all of the people of the state of Alabama. According to the complaint, uh, Merrill blocking the Twitter users, quote, imposes an unconstitutional restriction on their participation in a designated public forum. It imposes an unconstitutional restriction on their right to access statements that defendants are otherwise making available to the public at large. It imposes an unconstitutional restriction on their right to petition the government for redress of grievances. Merrill rejects that argument. You'll be shocked and blames the controversy on partisan politics. Well, of course, because that's the only thing he has left. I mean, he's actually preventing his constituents, voters who are registered in Alabama, from getting official communications from the Secretary of State about their voting and what is uh, what the state is doing for the election coming up. It's, it's really remarkable it that is. he thinks he can get away with that. Uh, and well, he has gotten away with it so far, but now he's going to have to defend it in a court of law. And uh, those very constituents who are being blocked are going to be uh, paying for his defense, apparently, in this stupid case. Again, he has every ability to not see what people say to him by simply muting those users. But he will not do that. Uh, anyway, for the record, by the way, I'm also blocked. Well, there's a lot of uh, right wingers who block me. But uh, when it comes to public officials, I'm also blocked by uh, Ohio's Republican Secretary of State, John Husted. Uh, I have no idea why in that case. Suddenly, just one day I tried to look up what he uh, comment he was saying on Twitter and I was told I was blocked. 
Uh, of course, that makes my job as a journalist, particularly as an election integrity journalist, all the more difficult as we head towards the November 6th primary. So no idea what's going on in Ohio from the Secretary of State, well, at least what he's tweeting about. And I have no idea why, but frankly, I hope the ACLU will uh, sue John Husted as well. Uh, okay, well, here's some, uh, I think that's pretty good news, and here's some additional good news, some certainly good news. Advocacy groups pouring money into independent campaigns to impact this fall's midterm races must now disclose many, if not all, of their political donors beginning this week. That thanks to a decision by the Supreme Court on Tuesday uh, who declined to intervene in a long-running case. This may just be one of the reasons why Republicans are desperate to get Kavanaugh on that court. Um, in this case, the high court would not grant an emergency request to stay a ruling by a federal judge in Washington who had thrown out a decades-old Federal Election Commission regulation allowing certain certain nonprofit groups to keep their donors secret, certain dark money groups, uh, as you have heard about, as we talk about, as uh, citizens, the Citizens United case back in 2010 allowed these dark money groups to just pour millions, if not billions, into our election system. With less than 50 days before this fall's congressional elections, the ruling has far-reaching consequences, Washington Post reports, that could curtail the ability of major political players to raise money and force the disclosure of some of the country's wealthiest donors. Good. In an interview, the chair of the uh, FEC, FEC chairwoman and, yes, GOP operative Caroline Hunter, said that the names of certain contributors who give money to nonprofit groups to use in political campaigns beginning Wednesday will have to be publicly reported. Good. Hunter and other so-called conservatives, as The Washington Post describes them, warned the decision could have a chilling effect just as the midterms are heating up. She said, quote, it's unfortunate that citizens and groups who wish to advocate for their candidates will now have to deal with a lot of uncertainty less than two months before the election, said Hunter, a Republican employee, uh, employee. Well, yeah, that too. But Republican appointee to the FEC. Uh, yeah, it's it's terribly unfortunate, Caroline, uh, that folks will actually have to be transparent when spending millions of dollars to buy our elections. So sad. Terribly unfortunate that we should know who it is uh, if you're exercising your First Amendment rights, that uh, we should know who that person is who is exercising that right in an election by spending millions of dollars. That I cannot, by the way, I cannot compete with. I don't have millions of dollars to spend on elections. But a whole bunch of secret millionaires and billionaires do. Well, now those secret millionaires and billionaires are going to be known, at least in a few cases here. Noah Bookbinder, the executive director of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, or CREW, said this is a great day for transparency and democracy said we're about to know a lot more about who is funding our elections. I'd say who is buying our elections, but I take Noah's point. The ruling last month 
in this case uh, by a Chief U.S. District Judge Beryl A. Howell, uh, will be challenged on appeal. So this still could change, but in the immediate, uh, the decision will now force major groups on the left and the right to scramble to reassess how they're going to uh, finance the fall campaign. Nonprofit advocacy groups, which do not have to publicly disclose their donors as political committees do, will now have to begin doing so. They'll now have to begin reporting the names of contributors who give more than $200 per year towards their independent political campaigns. That change, the Post notes, could affect heavyweight groups across the political spectrum, including the Koch-backed Americans for Prosperity on the right and the League of Conservation Voters on the left. Of course, the Kochs spend far more money than the groups on the left. But, you know, even Stephen, it's going to affect everyone the same way, says the Washington Post. This case uh, began uh, nearly six years ago when crew filed a complaint to the FEC we have been and we have been covering it for all of those years <laughs> I and know. longer. It's, this particular it's, uh, case, it's it's amazing and I suppose helpful to let people know that these take a long time yeah. to resolve, and it it's it's a long time getting through the judicial system. The litigation takes time to resolve, but you know, hopefully, in the long run, justice wins out. If we have a long run at this point, <laughs> the way things are going. Uh, Back then, the original complaint argued that uh, the FEC should require Crossroads GPS. Carl Rove's outfit. Yes, uh, that they had to disclose the names of their donors behind a $6 million effort. It ran in uh, 2012 against uh, Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown in Ohio. So um, at the time, the FEC deadlocked on whether they should open an investigation into Crossroads, despite the findings of the FEC's own investigators, that, yes, the bulk of the money spent by Crossroads was on political advocacy. But the way the FEC is built with a, a, a three to three Democratic-Republican split, and uh, over the past decade or so the republicans have used that uh, th- their three seats essentially to keep anything from being investigated at least anything that would help them it used to be that they would work together on the fec uh but the uh, republicans have of course politicized that uh to the point of it really being damn near useless at this point when they yeah yeah. they've pretty much weaponized the fec they weaponize everything that's what they do they are not a legitimate political party they don't have legitimate political ideas they are simply there to weaponize whatever power they can uh have to to get more power behind them to help their corporate friends and their secret money donors, who at least will now be somewhat less secret. So um, the uh, district court ruling, uh, uh, you know, said that those have to be, uh, uh, well, that, that the FEC's regulations that those groups did not have to reveal and these were just regulations. These aren't laws. But F- FEC's regulation that these people did not have to uh, reveal their donors The judge said that regulation, quote, blatantly undercuts the congressional goal of fully disclosing the sources of money flowing into federal political campaigns and thereby suppresses the benefits intended to accrue from disclosure. 
she had delayed the that disclosure requirement for 45 days to give the FEC time to write a new rule. They didn't. And now uh, Crossroads unsuccessfully sought to stay her ruling pending an appeal to the ruling. Uh, but now the Supreme Court says, nope, it's going to go into effect as of uh, now. And we'll see if there's an appeal later. Uh, the uh, development has set off a frenzy among nonprofit groups as they try to make sense of what this ruling means and doesn't for fundraising and spending activity for the 2018 election. Yes, chaos lies ahead. Jessica Levinson, however, election law professor at Loyola Law School in Los Angeles, said the Supreme Court's order is, quote, a huge win for the public. We will take whatever huge wins we can get. Uh, all right, let me take a quick break. We'll come back with uh, some more good news, believe it or not, regarding on, uh, regarding uh, elections. Uh, that's after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Rolling ahead. I'm Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com. Uh, so yes, as I as I promised, some good news, some more good news today, amidst uh, everything else. In California, according to the uh, Secretary of State's office. Over 25,000 residents had their ballots thrown away and not counted at all back in the November 2016 general election cycle. That's not the good news. I'll get to the good news in a second. Um, those uh, 25,000 ballots were thrown out because of a mismatching signature on them. The voter's signature on the ballot did not match what was in their uh, voter registration file and partisan uh, often, partisan uh, election officials decided, mm, you know what, these don't matter. These must be fraudulent. I'm just going to throw them away. Mismatching signatures, however, can occur for a number of reasons above and beyond fraud. Uh, and in California, there uh, is no law that, or there had been no law that mandates local election officials actually notify uh, voters that their ballots are going to be tossed out. Or provide them with an opportunity to correct the mistake? Well, SB 759 or the Every Vote Counts bill uh, passed the uh, California State Legislature a few weeks ago. We uh, noted it at the time. It establishes the process for election officials to notify voters when their vote-by-mail ballot when the signature on it is a mismatch from the one on file. Specifically, the bill requires election officials to notify voters that the uh, signature doesn't match the one on file at least eight days prior to the certification of an election so that voters have an opportunity to verify their signature, to say, yeah, that is my signature. That is my ballot. Please count it. Don't throw it away without telling me. 
According to a lawsuit that was filed by the ACLU last year, there are a number of reasons why signatures may not match. For example, a person may have a disability that they may not have had when they originally uh, uh, registered to vote. Um, their ability may change or make it difficult to match the signature because of a shaky hand. Uh, a different member of the household, like a spouse or a caretaker, might have signed the ballot. A voter's signature can change or evolve over time. Or the person, uh, such as someone whose second language is English, may be unaware that they have to sign their ballot the same way that it is on the file and they sign in the characters of a non-English alphabet or something like that. All kinds of reasons. So SB 759 was passed a few weeks ago and the good news coming from uh, Jim Soper uh, late yesterday. Uh, Jim, uh, we've had him on the show many times from the Voting Rights Task Force, the California Election Protection Network. Uh, he writes in to say that Governor Brown has now signed this bill and that it will make significant changes to the signature verification procedures for vote-by-mail envelopes. That is good news. That at is good news. And good news for voters. A good news for voters, for all voters, and alleviates, well, at least one of the many concerns that I have uh, regarding vote-by-mail. At least in California. At least in California, and I don't know uh, how many other states where they can simply throw out ballots if they want to without notifying the voters and giving them a chance to do something about Remarkably, it. it has to be put into the law to force election officials to notify voters first before they toss the ballot. Seems, Seems like that would be... Common sense. Common sense, you know, something that would they would do automatically, but no. Uh, all right. Got some uh, some good news for Democrats in a number of states. Democrat Tony Evers is pulling ahead of Scott Walker in the race to become Wisconsin's next governor. That, according to the Marquette University Law School poll released this week, the Marquette poll is considered to be the gold standard for election polling in Wisconsin. Evers uh, earned 49% of support among likely voters compared to 44% for Scott Walker. It's the first time since Evers won the nomination uh, in August that he has led Walker in the Marquette poll. Last month, the two nominees were tied at 46%. Uh, Walker previously won his seat in uh, in GOP wave years and his crackdown on voting rights and cuts to the state education budget have uh, hurt him in Wisconsin. Support for Evers, the state school superintendent, appears to be bolstered by independent voters. According to Marquette, GOP support for Walker and Democratic support for Evers are both over 90%, but among independents, the breakdown is 52% for Evers and just 32% for Walker. A 20-point split among independents in Wisconsin in the governor's race. Results uh, also from Marquette look good for Democrats in the U.S. Senate race, with incumbent Senator Tammy Baldwin expanding her lead from 2 points to 11 in her race against the GOP challenger Leah Vukmir, uh, Baldwin earned 53% of likely voters compared to 42% for Vukmir. Uh, let's see, do I have some? Okay, I got time for a little bit more good news for Democrats and bad news for Republican gubernatorial candidates. Former Senator Nancy Kassebaum in Kansas, a Republican, 
and a political trailblazer who uh, represented Kansas in the U.S. Senate from 1978 to 1997. She announced on Tuesday that she would support Laura Kelly, the Democratic candidate for governor in this year's election, rather than Republican nominee Secretary of State Chris Kobach. Wait, so the Republican is endorsing the Democrat? Correct. Wow. Wow. Uh, And she's not the only one, by the way, in Kansas, not the only Republican. She says, I'm a Republican, but that doesn't mean you walk lockstep always with the party. Uh, According to the Kansas City Star, she says, it seems to me that Kobach has developed a record that shows a focus on ways to accomplish his end goals that I think are not the best for Kansas. This is very polite. Uh, Dozens of other high ranking Kansas Republicans in the state have also backed The Democrat Kelly, including the state's former governor, Bill Graves, and former senator and lieutenant governor, Sheila Fromm. Um, That uh, race is, uh, well, it has three, a Republican, a Democrat, and an independent who is siphoning off votes right now from the Democrat. So Kobach still has a very good chance to win the controversial and frankly embarrassing for the state of Kansas, uh, Chris Kobach. But uh, yet another endorsement for the Democrat here from a high-ranking Republican could make a difference on November 6th. Wow. And, and you know, of course, the thing that will really make the difference on November 6th is, is turnout. And voter turnout has to also be greater than the margin of voter suppression, especially exactly. in many of these red states where gerrymandering, photo ID restrictions, uh, any number of dirty tricks are all going to come to fore in, in uh, preventing people from voting. Turnout and the ability to uh, count those voters who do turn out and are managed to have their uh, vote counted as cast not necessarily easy in uh, uh, Chris Kobach's state of Kansas where Chris Kobach is overseeing his own election uh, for governor as the state's top election official as secretary of state we'll continue to keep our eyes on that and much more in the days ahead but we got to get out today my thanks to our producer Desi Doyen and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us it is appreciated more than you can know if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters where I am the Brad Blog, and you can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And finally, my thanks to those of you who uh, keep us going by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We need your support there now more than ever bradblog.com slash donate if you'd like the broadcast to keep going we've been fighting to continue through this year's midterm elections we just may make it thank you all right until we meet again i'm brad friedman good luck world